I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47, to round off this series that we began uh, at the beginning of January called Irresistible. So Acts 2, 42 to 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lord Jesus, we pray that this passage would be true in our lives, in the life of this church. We pray that all those hallmarks and ingredients that we've been considering over the last few weeks would become more and more apparent in our midst. Do a work of your Holy Spirit, even as we consider this last section today, that these things would happen here to build up this church for your glory and the extension of your kingdom here in Bury. Speak to us now by your word and through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So today we are considering that very last line. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. But this is a bit of a recap about where we've been already. We said at the beginning that this was an irresistible church community. These people that went and were able to change the whole Western world into which they were living. We said that they were devoted to teaching as the first thing, teaching about Jesus and committed to aligning their lives with it. These people were worshippers. Hannah led us in that anytime, anywhere, giving glory to God and worshipping him with their lives. And we thought about their tight-knit fellowship, how they knew each other. They bore the burdens of one another. They cared for each other tirelessly. We thought about how they prayed amazingly big prayers, committed to praying for everything that was important to them, trusting in God's great ability and his care. We then thought about the signs and wonders which were at work in this church community, saw how they broke out where the supernatural became natural, where provision came out of nowhere because they were dependent on God for everything. We saw how they were a generous community, redrawing the lines around their own stuff to include other peoples, pursuing and meeting needs any way they could. And today we'll see that they were a growing community, always looking out for the next person, always setting another place at the table as it were. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. I hope it goes without saying, but these things aren't a pipe dream for me. This isn't me kind of saying, well, here's some things that could never really happen here, but wouldn't it be nice? I believe that by looking at these things, because they're part of God's word and we are enlivened by the same Holy Spirit here today, these things can become true here, are already true to an extent here. And we're praying that God would increase 
all that he has started, that we would be praying and growing and generous, that we'd be a fellowship and we'd see signs and wonders, spiritual gifts being grown and matured. This isn't a pipe dream that we're just amusing ourselves with. This is our heart's desire. If I could make us one community that has all of these ingredients, we would be able to do amazing things in God's name and for his glory. I hope that through this series you've been encouraged to pray that each of these things would become true in our midst. And I encourage you to go on in those prayers because these are the ingredients that took this first church community from a standing start to being the dominant religious power in the Western world as we know it. I want to take us right back to the beginning when I said that we see... Jesus picks 12 first disciples, invests in them for three years, and we get to the point of Acts where Jesus died and has gone back to be with the Father. And there's about 120 people worshipping in this upper room. Jesus says, wait there. Worship and pray and wait. Because there's a gift coming that I'm going to send you that you're going to need. Don't do anything until you've received this gift. So 120 or so people waited for that gift and received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They were immediately propelled outwards. They received these other languages, these tongues, the ability to speak in other languages, which, yes, is a sign and wonder, but is also a thing that enabled them to communicate with all sorts of different people. It meant that they could speak in the heart language of loads of people who were there in Jerusalem at that time. So 120 people full of the Holy Spirit propelled outwards into Jerusalem. And on day one, they saw 3,000 people respond to the message of Jesus and give their lives to him. And from there, that 3,120 went about life as we've explored. And unsurprisingly saw loads more people want to come and be a part of that community for themselves, want to come and give Jesus everything because what they saw there they could see nowhere else. What other community could have all of those ingredients? What other place have you been that's got all of those hallmarks other than God's glorious, spirit-filled, passionate, devoted church? And then despite being persecuted by the Roman Empire, these 3,000 or so believers then went on to send groups to different cities. Often as persecution tried to squash them out of one place, they were propelled into new cities. And loads of the rest of the New Testament is these missionary movements going to new places and then letters being written to the churches that grew. These 3,000 people were not uncontested. They were trying to be squashed out by the Roman Empire and yet they were still able to succeed, to plant new churches, to grow new communities along these blueprints. And in the space of about 300 years, they became the biggest religious grouping in the Western world. We started with 12, who then made it to 120, Then 3,000 got added. Then we see that more and more were being added daily. And 300 years later, there's more of them than there are of any other religious grouping. I probably don't need to tell you, but right now the church in the Western world isn't doing quite so well. It's smaller than it has been for a long time. And if anything, it's on the decline. Beyond the Western world, there are places where the church is 
exploding with life and vitality. Interestingly, it's often in the places where, again, their countries and regimes are trying to squash them out. Places like Iran, places like China, places like South America. Churches that are exploding with life, and I pray that that would come here. But in this context, in the Western world, the church is small and is declining. And so how can we read a passage that talks about exponential growth and then come to a context which is almost exponential decline? And I'm praying that God might do something to see us return to this kind of community, to maybe take the ingredients from all around the world that we're seeing even here and now, that there might be a massive turnaround even here in Bury for God's glory. Here in Manchester Diocese, the Anglican Church, of which we're a part, there are various projections and plans for the future. Right now, we're struggling, if I can put it really mildly. We're not doing so well. And there are dreams that if we had an amazing decade, now I mean amazing, if things turned almost round 180, if all the churches across all of Manchester started to see great things happen, the dream that's been set after an amazing decade is that 1.5% of the population of Manchester would be engaged with an Anglican church. So that's not where we are now. That's if we had an amazing decade, 1.5%. Now, of course, I'm praying for that because it's not where we are now. But what on earth does that say to the 98.5%? who aren't part of a church, who aren't regularly gathering with people to worship Jesus. What are we saying to their lives? Now, of course, the hope of bishops and people that have put that together is that we would reach many more. They're trying to be realistic along the way. And of course, there are other church communities, different denominations which we love. So maybe we could say that 4% maybe worship Jesus now. What on earth does that say to the 96%? We might know and love Jesus. We might have been brought into relationship with him. But it never stops with us. This church community that we see, we're always going. Always looking beyond themselves. Always willing to being sent to new places. To tell new people because they knew that what had happened for them had changed their lives. And if we think about it, it's changed their whole eternities because we know that after death, we'll go to be with Jesus forever. And that's a message that could not be contained, that could not be kept to themselves. My prayer and my hope is that if we have an amazing decade, it doesn't just get us to 1.5% of the population. It gets us way beyond that because a revival has started and is spreading where people want to hear this good news. They want to be part of communities like ours. And they want to meet Jesus for themselves. Ultimately, this matters because life without Jesus isn't really life. And death without Jesus isn't really worth talking about. Because it leads us to ruin and destruction, to torment and suffering. Death without Jesus is the end. I want everyone I know. And everyone I don't know, to encounter the Jesus that I love, the one that we've worshipped and gathered around today. Jesus who left the 99 to find the one. And he's asking us to leave the one to go and find the 99, to leave the four, if you want, to find the 96. 
I want to give you a moment to think uh, how you came to faith and who was involved in your story. So if you become a Christian, you're following Jesus, maybe just take uh, a trip down memory lane and think, well, who were some of the people that were involved in me going from not being a Christian to becoming a Christian? Maybe there were key youth leaders, friends, family, church members people who told you about Jesus, people who prayed for you. Just take a trip down memory lane and internally you don't need to tell anybody else. Think about how you came to faith and who was involved in that journey. For me, there were all sorts of people who were involved in that. Parents who prayed, siblings who were on that same journey encouraging me. There were youth leaders who opened their home up to me every week, answered my questions, uh, many of which were really silly. People that took me away for weekends away, summer camps, who longed that I would respond to this good news. All manner of people were involved in me coming to faith. And I'm sure the same is true for you. Maybe there was someone who was praying for you, who you only find out about a long way into that journey. Maybe there was one person who shared the gospel with you and said, here's what it might mean for you. How about it? Maybe there were people who invested in you time and time again, who when you wandered away would welcome you back. What I want to say is that all of those people were doing the work of evangelism. We often have this picture that evangelists, those who tell people about Jesus, who want to see the numbers of people in church being added to daily, well, they're the bolshy ones, the extroverts, the loud ones on stages. But my story isn't really filled with many of those, maybe one or two. A lot of my story is filled with faithful praying people, with people who opened their homes and invited me in and answered my questions again, people who had fun with me and laughed with me and journeyed with me over many years. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to his protege, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And the implication I think there is that some are called to be evangelists. They're going to be spending most of their time, most of their life is going to be oriented around telling people about Jesus and giving them an opportunity to respond there and then. And I pray that we might have evangelists sent to this church community who will do that time and time again. But that doesn't mean that if that's not you, you don't do anything. Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So all of our lives can play a role in seeing people who don't currently know Jesus come to know him for themselves. Your role might be to give, to pray, to open your home, to invite people to things that are going on. Your role might be to answer questions that people have got and try and lead them towards Jesus in so doing. Your role might be the one at the front on a stage. Your role might be in discipling people to go and do that for others. Whatever your role is, do it and do it well because we need you right now. I'm praying that this place will be full many times over each week with people worshipping and gathering around Jesus. And right now, that's not the case. And that's okay. We've just begun. But what's going to happen is one of you is going to invite someone and one day they're going to be sat next to you. And then as that happens again and again, as individual lives are changed, families come to know, networks are changed, bit by bit we'll see this turn around before I delve in to some ways in which we might go about this, I wanted to read some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
I think one of the tactics of the enemy is to divide people and almost to separate people out. And what I want to say right from the beginning is that we are all on the same team. Your role in evangelism might look really different from the person next to you because God has gifted us uniquely. Some people might be doing this in a different way. And what we see here is Paul writing about such a thing, about how we each can support one another. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 5, says, What, after all, is Apollos? one of Paul's ministry companions. And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes all things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. You might be the one who plants a seed. You might be the one who waters a seed. You might be the one who tends to it in its fragile infancy of life. Whatever your role is, go about that with all your heart. And whatever your role isn't, support the people that are doing that bit. Because if Paul starts watering and there's no seed there, nothing's going to happen. If we put loads of seeds down and never tend to them, nothing's going to happen. We need each other. And whatever your role is in the journey of people coming to Jesus, support those who are doing a different leg of the journey, who are playing a different role in the team. Don't let us be divided because we're not all the same. Let us see that as our source of unity. One verse that's commonly used in talks like this as we think about how we might see the church grow is 1 Peter chapter 3 where it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The word that jumped out to me as I was reading that earlier this week was hope. Always be prepared to give a reason to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The hope that we find in Jesus and hope then became the framework for the rest of the talk. So I've got four things to say, roles that we might play in this journey of seeing numbers added to us daily. And it spells out hope just so that you can remember it a little bit more easily. So four things that we might each do in this journey. The first, H, is to be honest. I think that evangelism starts with people being honest about who they are, about what they do, about what they get up to with their time, about what's important to you. I know someone whose faith journey started because in an office conversation about who was going to work on Christmas Day, he said, well, I think Christmas is a load of nonsense, so I'm ha I'll happily work that shift. And his boss responded, well, actually, I'm a Christian. Christmas is really important to me, and I think that you're wrong. That then set about this chain of events where this person's now come to know Jesus, all because someone was honest. Christmas means something to me. That's all she really said. 
And yet that honesty about who she was and what she believed started something in him, which has led to him coming to faith. Be honest that you come to church if you come to church. Be honest about the people that you spend time with, the things that you believe. Just be honest. Don't be forceful with it. You don't need to be. Just say, here's who I am. Because I think people are more willing to hear than we are to speak. People are more ready to receive a message about Jesus. Here's how I see that issue a little differently from you than often we are to say it. And it all starts with us being honest about who we are, what's important to us, what we believe, and the kind of God that we love. Be real about your journey. Be honest when something's going really well for you. When you're approaching something differently from a colleague or a friend because you've got Jesus in your life, all you've got to do is just say that. Evangelism doesn't have to start with these great expositions, these long preaches that we read about from Peter and others in Acts. Evangelism might just start with, I went to church yesterday, what did you get up to? And the conversation might then spread on from there. Don't hide what you are, who you are, what you do. Start by being honest. It's a brilliant phrase that a friend of mine uses all the time in his evangelism, where in conversation with others, he just picks up maybe a thread of what's been said and just says, oh, that reminds me of Jesus. So when there's a storyline in a film that they're thrashing out, he says, oh, that reminds me a bit of Jesus. He said this. All he's doing is being honest about the way that he sees that issue that's different from somebody else. Evangelism for me, seeing numbers added to us daily, starts with us being H, honest. Second thing, O, be overflowing. Acts 4, a couple of verses, a couple of chapters rather, on from what we've been reading. There's a story of when a couple of the disciples get pulled in front of the uh, leaders of the city. They're being persecuted, they're being arrested, and they're saying, do not talk about Jesus anymore. And this is what they come back with. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Even in the face of persecution, in the face of being told with threat, I'm sure, stop talking about Jesus. Peter and John say, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. What we've seen is too good. Jesus' grace is too powerful for us to keep it to ourselves. We can't help but tell people because it's so good. It's bubbling up from inside us. Be overflowing in the sense that your spiritual life is vibrant and active. Your prayer life is strong. You're reading the word. You're worshipping daily so that it's just bubbling up out of you. You can't help but speak about it because it's the biggest thing in your mind. You wake up and say hello to Jesus. You say prayers all the way through the day because you don't want to go a minute without him. When we're in an overflowing kind of a mindset, evangelism just becomes, here's who I am again. And here's what's going on for me. We don't need to go about grand plans to introduce Jesus to people. They just meet him because he's in us and he's overflowing out of everything that we are doing. Let it spill out of you as you go on loving people as you go on working alongside a colleague. Make your life and your words line up so that when they see great things happen in you 
and they hear the message of hope that you've got overflowing out of you, there's a resonance about it that they want to step into for themselves. So secondly then, oh, be overflowing. Let your life with Jesus bubble up and spill out of you in a really natural way that others might get drenched in the process. Third thing, P, be prayerful. Pray for friends regularly to come to know Jesus. It's where it all starts. And it's the tracks on which God operates. Maybe you want to make a list. A few people every day that you're saying, Lord, I'd love it if they came to know you. This person means so much to me and you mean so much to me and I just want the same to be true of them as it is of me. Often we read of great people in church history who've done amazing things for God and you trace it, their story right back to its beginning and there's one or two little old ladies who faithfully prayed for that person day after day after day saying, God, please may today be the breakthrough day for that person. Why don't we commit to being those kind of people who have a, a small list of people, three or five, whatever it is, people that you're saying, God, please show yourself to my friend. Please reveal who you are to this family member. God, please put Christians in their path. Open up opportunities for me to speak about my faith. Soften their hearts to receive your word. Be people who are praying regularly that numbers might be added to the church. Anyone coming to Jesus is a miracle. We've had the veil taken off We've seen him for who he really is. We've turned away from our selfishness and our sin and we've been brought back into relationship with God. It's always a miracle. And prayer lays the tracks for that miracle to happen again and again and again. As it's happened in our lives, that it might happen in even more people's lives. It fights back the devil who is doing everything that he possibly can to keep people out of relationship with Jesus. Pray and pray and pray again. And finally, E, be expectant. Be expectant that opportunities will come and be ready to use them in whatever way is afforded to you. Be expectant that at some point this week, someone might say something to you like, oh, what do you think about that? Or what did you do at the weekend? Be ready to give an answer, a reason for the hope that you have. I often think about it a little bit like, you know, you have this perception of like business people who always seem to have a card in their pocket, who've got their name and their number on it or whatever. Like whoever they meet, there might be a connection and they just kind of grab the card out of their pocket and give it to someone. Maybe that's a stereotype that doesn't really happen anymore. But the picture that I had as I was coming to mind was almost us always having a card on us. Maybe that's a practical, actual thing to have, or maybe it's just a disposition. But always be ready to, oh, there's a, there was something in that conversation, or they seemed a little bit interested, or maybe there's a friendship that could emerge there. Have something in you that's always ready to give. Be expectant that an opportunity might come at any time, and be ready to use it in whatever way is appropriate. Maybe one of the things to put in your pocket, as it were, is a one-minute summary of your journey of faith. Could you articulate it quickly and simply in language that anyone would understand? Maybe alongside that, could you explain in a minute or two what the gospel is? What it is that's changed your life and what the offer might be for someone new? It's almost like you're putting these things in your pocket so that whenever an opportunity comes, you can use them. Explaining your journey of faith, your reason, your hope 
but also the gospel itself, the big story of God who comes to cover over our brokenness through the death of his son on the cross to invite us back into relationship with him now and forever. Use that if you want as a starting point. Could you give an answer? Could you give a reason for your hope? If not, maybe take a little bit of time later on today. Well, here's what it means to me. Here's a metaphor that resonates with me that I could explain what's gone on in me to someone else. And as you do it, taking the second part of that verse really seriously, we do it with gentleness and respect. We're expectant of opportunities and we'll use them for God's glory and we'll do it with gentleness and respect. Showing people the love that God has for them in the way that we invite them to follow him. So hope then, be honest, be overflowing, be prayerful, be expectant so that through those things you can give an answer for the hope that you have. And as each of us go about that, as each of us tool ourselves up with our story and, and God's big story, as each of us is praying for a few friends every day, I believe that the seats, the pews around us will start to be filled. As people hear about what's going on and we welcome them in warmly, we let them sit next to us, we answer their questions. As each of us goes about this work, as each of us is honest about what we do and not hiding our light under a bushel but putting it on a stand for all to see, day by day and week by week and month by month, these seats will be filled. Not that we look great, not that we can be part of the 1.5% and the diocese can be happy, but so that people's lives might be changed forever. That the God who we worship might be glorified by their life just as he is through ours. So be able to give a reason for the hope that you have, the hope that Jesus has brought to you, the way that he's never disappointed you with an invitation that he will never let your friend, your colleague, your neighbor down either. In despairing times as people are just now, I think what we need is people full of hope ready to say, yes, we're affected by that. Yes, we see that. But we're anchored in something different. Because we know and love Jesus, we're firm and secure in him. And we're ready to help you reach out a hand to say, Jesus, save. Jesus, help me, just as we have done ourselves. I want this to be a church community where people are added to our number daily. Not just through formal things that happen here that someone's at the front of, but just through individual conversations that you have at work or with your neighbor, at the school gate or on the phone with a friend. I want this to be a church community that's growing because of the life of Jesus that is bubbling up and bubbling out of us. That more and more people might come into relationship with him. We've thought through this series about this irresistible church community. And what I'd love for us to do as we end now is just ask God to make these things more and more true of us. So what I'm going to invite you to do is to stand and we're going to ask that God would send his Holy Spirit on us. Because like we remembered at the beginning of this series, all of this begins with the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the people and then these things became true in their midst. So let's stand and invite the Spirit to fill us as he did them to bring these and other things about for his glory.